Welcome to the Faith Connections Podcast, a partnership between the Foundry Publishing, Nazarene Discipleship International, and Holiness Today. Welcome to our study this week of Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 17, and verses 23 to 25. My name is Scott Rainey. I serve with the Church of the Nazarene in the area of Nazarene Discipleship International, or NDI. This adult Sunday school video lesson is provided in collaboration between the Foundry Publishing and NDI. The Sunday school lesson is intended to support the local church's efforts to make disciples who make disciples. Please feel free to use this video in any way that helps your church and its families. The book of Genesis in the Old Testament is a book of beginnings. We learn of God's good creation, light, the atmosphere, land, the sun, moon, and stars, fish and birds, wild animals, and finally, man and woman, made in the very image of God himself. At the end of day six, God said of his creation, it is very good. We learn of the fall of humanity through Adam and Eve's first sin, Everything changed between God and humanity and between man and woman. The earth took on thorns and weeds, suffering alongside humanity for the sin Adam and Eve introduced. Death entered the created order. It wasn't long before God's good creation was so sinful, God grieved that he had created humanity in the first place, according to Genesis chapter 6, verse 6. But God found one man. Noah, who was righteous. We learn of God's judgment through the worldwide flood. Following the flood, God called one man, Abram, to be God's special people. God promised blessing on Abram's life within a covenant relationship. God's continual presence, many descendants, and land. God's promise extended beyond Abram and his family. God would one day bless the whole world through Abram's descendants. Early in God's promises to Abram, we, he spoke about what difficulties were on the horizon. Genesis chapter 15 verses 13 to 14 says, then the Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. Abraham and Sarah give, give birth then to Isaac in their old age. Isaac and Rebekah give birth to Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. Things are far from perfect within this chosen family. Favoritism, jealousy, deception, and hatred all rear their ugly heads in the course of time. God's people bounce from faithfulness to faithlessness. God, however, remained perfectly faithful. Ultimately, because of famine in the world, Jacob and his family moved to Egypt where food could be found. The book of Genesis ends with Jacob's family safely settled in Egypt. 
there's a large gap of unrecorded time between the end of Genesis and the start of Exodus, likely around 400 years. The people of Israel had become exceedingly fruitful and had multiplied greatly according to Exodus chapter 1 verse 7. While things started well for Jacob's family in Egypt, all had turned for the worse. Israel had populated Egypt to a point where the Pharaoh felt threatened. The descendants of Abraham, now living in Egypt, had become slaves to Pharaoh and the Egyptian people. Life for the Israelites was hard. God was silent, it seemed. In order to control his environment, the Pharaoh established a law to kill every Hebrew boy by throwing them into the Nile River, according to Exodus chapter 1, verse 22. As readers of this story of God and his people, we are conditioned to ask, to ask the question, how will God save his people from disaster? This is where we pick up the story of a people called Israel, found in Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 17, and then again in verses 23 to 25. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, she answered, go. Uh, so the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hurting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, 
and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to, uh, to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to the rescue and watered their flock. And then in verse 23 to 25, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. As our story starts, we learn of a man and a woman, Amram and Jochebed, from Exodus chapter 20, uh, chapter 6, verse 20, both from the tribe of Levi, who get married. Amram and Jochebed have at least two children, Aaron and Miriam, likely born before Pharaoh made his murderous decree to kill any son born to an Israelite mother. As the story of Exodus 2 unfolds, these two Levites have another child. This time they have a son born in the context of this dark and violent time in Israel's story during the days of Pharaoh's decree. The midwives and the parents take a risk by saving the boy's life. The boy's parents hide him for three months. When they can hide the boy no longer, Jochebed makes a small basket with papyrus leaves, tar, and pitch. The Hebrew word for basket in Exodus chapter 2 verse 3 is used only one other time in scripture when describing the vessel built by Noah. It is the same word we translate as ark. Jochebed built an ark to save her son Moses. The use of this word in Moses' account signifies the importance of this boy in the salvation of God's people, just as Noah had been all those years earlier. Moses' mother placed her three-year-old son in this ark, this basket, and sent it afloat on the Nile River. Can you imagine the heart of this mother at this moment? Maybe a mother who has given a child up for adoption would be the one who might understand Jacobed's pain here the most. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15 says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on this child she has born? Imagine the silent, desperate prayers this mother offered up to God for her son's safety. In the lowest moment of this story, as Moses floats away from his mother and her tears, I want to stop and remind us of the backdrop of this story. When we think nothing is going on, when we think God is not acting, we can rest assured that God is at that very moment preparing a way for his people. God's faithfulness is shown in the toughest, darkest times of our lives. You can be assured that God is working even when you don't see it. As we move into the next part of the story, we discover, discover a great and surpri surprising twist in the story of Moses' early life. Miriam, Moses' sister, 
watches her baby brother float down the river. Pharaoh's daughter hears the baby crying and responds with mercy. She sends her servant to get the baby out of the water. Take it in for a moment. The future leader of Israel, who will triumphantly lead Israel out of Egypt, is rescued by women from Pharaoh's own household. And there's more. Moses' sister, Miriam, speaks up and asks the princess, shall I get a Hebrew mother to nurse this child? Pharaoh's daughter thinks this is a good idea. Miriam goes and gets Moses' own mother, Jochebed. And wait, there's more. Pharaoh's daughter pays Jochebed for her care of Moses. Only God can do all that. One of the overarching themes of this story is compassion. We find compassion many times throughout the story. The midwives showed compassion by not killing Moses when he was born. Moses' mother showed compassion by her willingness to risk death to hide her son. Moses' sister showed compassion by staying near Moses in his little ark. Pharaoh's daughter showed compassion when she heard the Israelite baby crying. And certainly, God showed compassion for all Israel through this event as his saving plan came to fruition. It's always surprising when we find compassion coming from a place where we're not expecting it. Um, Pharaoh's daughter saw Moses, heard him cry, and felt sorry for him. Old Testament scholar Victor Hamilton suggests that feeling sorry for him would better, be better described as compassion here because compassion usually prompts a person to act on behalf of another. Pharaoh's daughter had compassion on an Israelite baby, one of the shocks of the storyline for sure. In April 2012, my family moved from Houston, Texas to Kiev, Ukraine to serve as missionaries. I'd been asked to come and help the field strategy coordinator at the time, Lonnie Norris, in training pastors and laypersons in evangelism. My hope was to give all that I had to serve the people of the former Soviet Union. I wanted to give so much, but there was a problem. I couldn't speak their language. The culture was so very different. I needed their help. I think one of the first lessons I learned as a missionary was that I needed the people of Eastern Europe maybe more than they needed me. In the end, these wonderful people comforted me. They had compassion on me. One important literary feature in these early chapters of Exodus is to observe that the many that many of the women are named in this scripture, yet the Pharaoh of Egypt is nameless. This liter literary clue reminds us that God is working behind the scenes in creative and, and mighty ways through everyday ordinary people. You see, God is working through unlikely people to subvert the powerful forces who commit themselves to violence and oppression. Through adoption, Moses legally became an Egyptian. Again, such irony. God would use a person from Pharaoh's household to deliver God's people from Egypt. 
The naming of a baby in the ancient Near East was the prerogative of the parents, pointing to the rights of legal guardianship. Pharaoh's daughter was the, was the one to name this child Moses. Naming him pointed to his legal adoption into Pharaoh's family. The name Moses sounds like both the Egyptian word for son and the Hebrew verb to draw out. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 10, Moses was weaned as a baby from his Hebrew mother and became the son of Pharaoh's daughter. A number of years passed between Exodus chapter 2, verse 10 and Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. Now, Moses is grown up, literally referring to an age when he's able to marry in Hebrew culture. It's not clear how Moses became aware of his Hebrew roots, but he's very interested in the hard plight of the people under Egyptian bondage. Moses witnessed a Hebrew slave being bit, beaten by an Egyptian. This would not have been an unusual sight. Slaves in this context did not have any rights. Moses looked around to see if anyone was watching. Seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. It's, it is obvious that the Israelite Moses rescued that day shared what had happened with others. Word spread throughout the community by the very next day. Even Pharaoh, Moses' grandfather, heard about the, the murder and wanted to kill Moses. He fled Egypt, misunderstood, mistreated by his own people, and pursued by Pharaoh's army. Moses' life is turned upside down in one decisive moment. He went to a land known as Midian. It was southwest of Israel and was inhabited by Ishmaelites, Midianites, and Moabites. When Moses arrived in Midian, he sat down by a well. It would do us good to consider how Moses felt at that moment when he sat down at the well in Exodus chapter 2, verse 15. Did he have many regrets? Certainly, he felt completely alone. What was he to do now? Where was the God of Israel through all of this? Undoubtedly, he felt far from God. Most of us at some point in our lives have felt that God was far off. We will come back to this in a moment. Sitting by the well, Moses encounters seven sisters, daughters of a priest in Midian, according to Exodus chapter 2, verse 16. They come to the well to water the flock of their father. It was not uncommon for women to water and shepherd the family flock. As they were drawing water, some shepherds came by and drove them away, according to verse 17. Moses steps in and rescues or literally saves the women from the shepherds. There's some interesting word plays in this section. What the shepherds do to the women at the well, Pharaoh, Pharaoh will one day do to Israel, drive them away. And what Moses did for the women, God will one day do for Israel, rescue or save them. In the next few verses, many years pass. 
Moses settles down in the household of a man named Ruel, the father of the seven sisters at the well. Moses marries one of the daughters named Zipporah, and they have a son together. Moses named the son Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. Exodus chapter 2, verse 22. Midian became a safe haven for Moses. Moses' identity became even more increasingly complex. Born a Hebrew, raised an Egyptian, married and living in Midian. Who was this Moses? What was God going to do with Moses' life? Where would Moses ultimately find his identity? In an ever-changing world with many twists and turns, the world always is wanting to impart on us who we are. In a secular world, it's easy for us to try to define who we think we are. But when we consider our identity today, Christ followers should start by asking, who does Jesus say I am? Will Moses find his identity in the will of God or the will of man? We will soon find out. Our final portion of scripture for this week moves back to God and the Israelites as a whole. We learn that God has not been absent or distant. God knows the Israelites' pain and seems ready to do something about it. In Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 to 25, we see that God heard, God remembered, God looked, and God was concerned. These verbs describe God's posture toward those who are crying out to him. All of this is true for you today, friends. God hears your cries. He remembers you. He sees you. He's concerned for your situation. Let us put our trust in him today. Thank you for listening to the Faith Connections podcast. If you wish to order Faith Connection materials for your local church, please visit thefoundrypublishing.com. If you've enjoyed this production and wish to hear more, visit holinesstoday.org slash podcast or find us on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts.